Hello, it's Paul O'Donnell here with my colleague Susan Carpenter. And as a follow-up to our data protection webinar, we hope to share with you a range of real-life data protection issues that have arisen in schools, how schools dealt with them, and what they learned as a result to help you to practically apply the GDPR regulations. You're very welcome to our podcast. For those of you who haven't had a chance to view our data protection webinar, it's available on the webinars icon at the bottom of the CPSMA website, www.cpsma.ie. We have created this follow-up podcast on the subject to help listeners for one primary reason. It's much less painful to learn from other people's experiences than your own. So Paul and I have looked at some data protection areas and will go through some minor and major situations that schools have found themselves in. I think it's also important just to say that many schools listening to these stories may have experienced something similar because a lot of these cases are very common situations, but obviously nobody will be identifiable from what we relate to you. However, where any are very specific to individual schools, we have contacted the schools concerned in advance to get their permission to use their situation and talk about it. So Susan, as our first data area is data breaches, and given that you get a bit more excited about speaking about data protection than most people do, can you talk us through your scenario on a data breach, please? It's true, Paul. I really do get excited talking about data protection. So as we know, in most schools, there's a lot of data. We would suggest far too much. And as a result, there are always data breaches, be it a lost letter of complaint, a car stolen with a school laptop in it, hard copies of sensitive school data being sent home inadvertently, parents' email addresses being CC'd on emails instead of BCC'd. The list goes on and on. But what's important to remember here is that data breaches centre around people and not data itself. And here's just one example of that. As we know, school principals have many, many interactions with the community every day. And it's very easy as a principal to forget people's names, to follow up on tasks to be completed, or what messages you need to pass on to which people. Never mind all the thoughts and observations that pop in and out of your mind on what's going on every single day in a school. So one principal I know came up with the idea of having a notebook for this very purpose. Uh, Susan, hold on one minute. I know what's going on here. And this is not the case that you mentioned you would be talking about. Be patient, Paul. Let me finish the story. I, <laughs> I'm not sure that you should. Anyway, the notebook was the best thing that he thought of to cope with all of the communication. And it worked a treat. He had the names of all the pupils and their parents in it, staff contact details, the names and contact numbers of people in the school community, education agencies and all his colleagues, not to mention lists of tasks to be completed every week. It really kept him on task and organised for a number of years. However, I know what's coming next. You're a real Nostradamus, aren't you? On one day, the principal was directing traffic in the school car park, emceeing at a class play with visiting parents. He attended a football game as well as visiting the local library with a class. In the evening, he sat down to cross out the tasks completed in his notebook, only to realise that it was gone. How did you know, Paul? because that was me. I lost that notebook and I remember it so well. And 
my question is, how did you remember that story that I told you over two years ago? Well, Paul, I got a pain in my stomach when you told me that. And you also told me it was the best lesson in data protection you ever learned and that you tell everyone about it when data breaches come up in conversation. It was a very, very hard lesson. And it is true. So, yeah, I, I belatedly give you consent to tell this story. I had absolutely no idea where that notebook was. Well, tell the listeners what happened, Paul. Well, it, it was one of those classic days. It was one of the busiest days in the school year. And everything that could have gone wrong did. There was water in the car park. I had to be out. I had to attend the, the play. I had to go to the match. A teacher was absent. I had to go to the library. So I, when I, when I realized that the notebook was gone, I searched everywhere. I drove to the pitch. I went out to the car park. I went into the class where I emceed. I was still in the school at half eight that night. And I, I, I was at the end of my tether. And by the end of it, there was nothing I could do. So I did go onto the DPC website and I reported the breach. And on the way out the door, I realized that I'd forgotten to, we have some hens in the school, I had forgotten to lock them up. And when I went out into the hen house, there was my notebook because I had been cleaning out the hen house with the pupils just before the end of school. And I got into my car, <clears throat> excuse me, sent another email, drove home and promptly slept for about 11 hours straight. I do not have a diary with that kind of data in it anymore. Well, I'm delighted to hear that, Paul. There's lots to learn there, really, isn't there? First of all, it's always best to people-proof your data before you do anything with it. To make it as simple as possible, if you're making a decision about how to handle data, it's best to imagine that you're sleep-deprived on a miserable, drizzly Monday morning in January. You're juggling 101 different jobs. Everyone in the school wants to speak to you urgently right now. And when you go to the staff room cupboard, there's no coffee. What simple mistakes could you accidentally mistake make if you were on autopilot like that? That might be a way for a principal or a staff member to consider how data is kept safe. For example, if you make sure that BCC is always used as standard on emails, it becomes second nature and it will help to avoid accidentally CCing everyone on the list. Data should only be removed from the school if essential. And last but not least, always double check before you circulate a document. Looking more specifically at your diary, Paul, data should always be kept securely, so it's really not the most prudent idea to keep everyone's personal data in a notebook in your pocket. Ideally, you should only keep data for the shortest possible time you need it, subject, of course, to any retention periods you have laid out. So if you need to make notes for yourself, be sure to shred them once they've served their purpose. I am delighted you reported the breach, though, Paul. Well done. Even though you found the notebook eventually, it was technically still a data breach as the data had been lost and out of your control for a period of time. I hope you shredded that notebook and used it as, a, as bedding for hens the next morning, though. Well, it, it certainly wasn't forgotten, that's for sure. And <laughs> I did think it was actually a brilliant idea, but it was a very hard lesson learned. Yeah. So it's your turn now. What have you got for us? So I'm on data access requests. And I had a case a couple of years ago where a parent submitted a data access request for a hard copy of all data relating to his five children, all of whom who were pupils in the school and all with complex learning needs. The school had attempted to refine the request, but the parent insisted on it all, <clears throat> Excuse me, as was his entitlement. As listeners will know, schools have one month from the date of the request to gather and present the data. 
So, Paul, what was the real reason for that request? Well, you've been down this road before asking a question like that. And Mm -hmm. commonly, data access requests like this are submitted because a parent is looking for specific documentation or because there is another issue going on. And there were other issues going on between the parent and the school. And as with all data access requests, you should notify your insurer. So they did get in touch with Allianz. And as is also the case, any mention of a third party must be redacted or blacked out of the documents. And in this school's case, they were provided with legal advice by their insurer around redaction because it was quite complex. But the impact of the request was enormous on the school. We're talking about a small school with a part-time secretary and a teaching principal who had never experienced a data access request of any kind before. And when the school sat down to map where all the data could be held, they got a huge shock. The pupils had been present in the school for a combined period of 27 years. And in general terms, the school had operated on the basis of keeping a copy of everything and writing notes on everything just in case. So they had 27 years of teacher incidental notes, admission documents, incident reports, school reports, sign-in, sign-out sheets, parent-teacher meeting information, IEPs, IPLPs, the list goes on and on and on. And they then started on the digital records, which included attendance, class lists, email correspondent with a range of outside agencies, and including community care and, and psychology. Did they consider a request to extend the deadline due to the volume of data being requested, Paul? Well, in, in fairness to the principal, she was adamant that they were going to have this data presented for the parent within within the month. And they did have that done, but they did obtain an extension to give their legal advice a chance to redact the documents. But to do it, the principal had to use most of her administration days during that month. And along with the board chairperson and the secretary, they they basically slept in the school. And once collated, all the documents had to have every reference to the third party blacked out. And that was a very cumbersome process as well. And by by the end of the process, they had seven lever arch folders to present to the parent. That's your worst data access request nightmare, isn't it? Absolutely. And a lot of the time we would never hear what happens next unless a school follows up with another query. But I I actually have spoken to the school since. And about a year later, the principal said that she still had not recovered from, from that request. But the school had made some changes to how they handled data. They do now have a comprehensive map of data present in the school. The staff received data protection training from the Board of Management. They organised it so they could be more familiar with the area and how it impacts on their work. And also the the class and SET teachers assess the data they've collected at the end of each year and they only retain what is adequate, relevant and necessary. And their incidental notes are also much more concise and to the point. So also with regard to emails, they they send them through school email addresses and again they're they're only sent where it's necessary and where physical data is archived they have a process every year when it's being i suppose um, locked away to minimize and archive only what is necessary and that it is accessible year by year and this all goes back to the the GDPR principles and most especially data minimization 
requiring schools to process adequate, relevant and limited data that is necessary. And schools really do need to assess their procedures in relation to what is held, where it is held and more importantly, why it is held. And as I said, the school is still petrified when they hear the three words data access request. So would I if I were them, but fair play to them for learning from the issue, which I suppose is really what the purpose of this podcast is all about. My next query is in relation to third parties seeking information from schools. In this particular case, a new family had moved to an area and enrolled their children in the school. Two weeks later, they got an appointment in the post for a checkup from their public dentist for their children. Mum, understandably, was curious as to how the dental clinic had gotten their personal details and those of her children. When she inquired, the dental clinic told her that they always get a copy of the updated class list with contact details from the local school every single year. They were quite proud of their efficiency. Mum, however, had concerns about this process. And isn't this exactly what we've been talking about in that people are much more aware of their personal data since the GDPR regulations came into existence in 2018? Absolutely. Now, the school is only entitled to ask for data that relates to the child's education in the school, and the school isn't entitled to pass that information on willy-nilly. Third parties like TUSLA, the Gardaí, the Department of Social Protection are sometimes entitled to data based on legislation that's in place, and they can request the data, but the school should request it in writing on headed organisation paper with the legal basis for the request included on the application. And it's important to say that we do help schools through this process, as as will Allianz, the school insurer. Absolutely, Paul. But, and it's an important but, schools should think twice before agreeing to share data with groups like the PA, book rental committees or local organisations, for example, without explicit consent from parents to do so. The excuse that we've always done this and there's never been an issue doesn't wash in these instances. The parent quite rightly complained to the Data Protection Commissioner and it led to a very swift lesson being learned by the school. So in in our next one now, we're looking at the area of CCTV and something I've come to notice in relation to this area is that it is a minefield when it comes to data protection. Is, Is that fair to say, Susan, and why do you think it is? Absolutely, Paul, because with CCTV, you're processing people's personal data, that is their image. And to do so, an organisation has to prove that it's justifiable, necessary, proportionate and reasonable to do that. Meaning there's an awful lot of work that has to be put in place before a camera is even installed on your premises. Okay, so I chose this case because it's one of the most common issues that has arisen for me. So in this instance, a school had gone through the whole process, carried out a comprehensive consultation process to to put up. CCTV in their school, with the school community, including a data protection impact assessment. They created and ratified a policy, engaged a company to install the CCTV externally and to put up the signage. Just to stop you there, Paul, I hope a data processing agreement was put in place between the company and the school. Yeah, sorry, I I forgot to mention that. There, There absolutely was. And that is a really important part because... The, the school effectively now have a third party handling data on their behalf. So, yes, that was in place. And and again, we're back to the principles here and the purpose of the CCTV. And, and it was stated on it that the purpose was school security. But a few months later, there was an incident on the yard involving two pupils. The teachers on yard believed they had resolved the issue, but the parents of 
we'll, we'll call the victim, were not happy with the outcome and they believed that their child had been targeted and goaded before and after the event itself. And as a result, the parents submitted a data access request for video footage in which their child was recorded at both breaks for each day of that full school week. And the school then contacted Allianz for advice. So with a data access request, the requester is only entitled to data relating to them, or in this case, their child. And anything identifying a third party requires redaction. But because it was video footage, this meant that all the other pupils had to be pixelated out of the video footage, which was 40 minutes in duration a day for five days. And the bill for the board of management of the school ran into thousands of euro as a result. So this was really the hard way of finding out that if you have CCTV in place for the purpose of security, why do you really need to turn it on during the school day when there can be anything from 20 people to 600 people in the school building? Yeah, yeah, or more. And, and that's exactly what this school did. So now their CCTV is timed to come on shortly after school closing time. And then it's time to come off just before school starts each morning because there are people in the school building during the school day. And so it still covers the school for the purpose it was intended, but you can't give data to, to others that you don't have. Thank you, Paul. Many thanks to all of our listeners for sticking with us until the end. And we hope that there are some practical nuggets in here that would be of assistance to you in your school role. Don't forget the data protection webinar is available to view on the webinar section of our website and that the resources also mentioned are available in the data protection web section of our website. Um, if you need any help with a query, please feel free to contact us in the office. Gurumina Mahagwiv Galer, Slán Agus Banath.